The title of this message is, Do You Believe in the Son of God? Do you believe in the Son of God? If I were to have a second title or a subtitle, it would be, Who Do You Say That I Am? And both of these titles are Jesus' exact words. Matthew 16, 13 to 15. Would you stand for the first reading of the scriptures to honor the word of God? When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? You may be seated. Jesus asks two questions, and he transitions from the question, who do they say that I am, or who do the people or the crowd say that I am, to who do you say that I am? How people answer this personal question determines their eternal destiny. It's perhaps the most important question throughout the ages. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Our personal answer determines if we will reign with Christ in the coming age as sons and daughters or be separated from the glory of God's presence as enemies for eternity. Jesus said, you're either with me or against me. There, there's no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. John 8, 24 says, the New American Standard says, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus is saying, you are in a, in a state of death spiritually. And unless you believe that I am, you're going to stay in that state and die in your sins. What we believe about Jesus determines what we do with him and how we enter the next life. If we don't believe and confess what is true about Jesus, we will die unsaved, unconverted, and still in our sins. We will die without any hope. And that's not why Jesus came. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. John 3, 17 and 18, Jesus said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come as a condemner. He came as a Savior. Verse 18 says, he who believes in him <clears throat> is not condemned, but he who do, does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Listen, the way out of condemnation is through believing in the name of the only begotten Son of God. People are not condemned because they commit some big sin or grave sin that outweighs all their good deeds. No, people were born in sin. All of humanity was born in sin, and we are already separated from God. We are already condemned. Jesus came to save us from this state of condemnation. He came to change our status from uncleaned and condemned to washed, accepted, and at peace with God. He does this by the simplicity of believing in his name, believing who he is. Who do, you, who do you say that I am? 
Jesus is asking you today, who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ or the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter didn't get this revelation because he was smart, because he was educated. No, he was a plain man. He was a average, probably lower than average educated man. But God gave him a revelation. When Jesus said, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, it was a revelation from above. It was a heavenly gift that he saw this. It wasn't from his own flesh and his own natural understanding. <clears throat> A few years ago, I saw a YouTube clip of a Muslim man challenging a Christian minister to prove from the Bible that Jesus is the Son of God. The Muslim shouted to the pastor, show me one verse, show me one verse that says that Jesus is the Son of God. Sadly, the minister didn't know his Bible very well, and he couldn't give him an answer. The Muslim scriptures say repeatedly that Allah has no son. Don't say that God has a son. It says it again and again and again. There's multiple passages. <clears throat> There's a new line of thinking in the world. It's not new, but it, it's becoming more popular. And it's called Christ consciousness. How many of you have heard of that? What is Christ consciousness? It, it's an, an idea that upholds and extols the virtuous teachings of Jesus and his admirable life. It admires and tries to imitate what Jesus taught about loving others and about turning the other cheek, about living sacrificially. Christ consciousness seeks self-improvement by learning from the greatest religious teachers, especially Jesus. But the fatal flaw of this thinking is that it rejects Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It rejects the Son of God that we must personally receive by faith to be saved. It rejects the fact that all history and all prophecy point to this one man as God's only choice as Savior of the world. This kind of thinking may seem Christian, or this Jesus consciousness may seem Christian, but it refuses to believe on Christ as a person and confess him as Savior and Lord. It accepts Jesus as a wonderful teacher and implements some of his teachings as helpful to living a good life and improving society. We'll make the world a better place if we follow the teachings of Jesus. But while it lauds his teachings, it reduces his authoritative words of life into good principles and rejects him as the only way to the Father. This is the false religion of humanism again, cloaked in artificial Christian garments. God calls this spiritual wickedness and he utterly rejects it because it rejects his son. When Jesus was on earth, his biggest opponents were the religious leaders who claimed to know God. They believed that God was their father, but Jesus said they were self-deceived and didn't truly know God. Did you know that it's possible to be in church? It's possible to be raised in a Christian family and to think that God is your father, to think that you know God and to be deceived? 
Did you know that's possible? Listen to John 8, 41 and 42. Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, said, You do the deeds or the works of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come from myself, but he sent me. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. Listen, if you don't love Jesus, you don't know God. Jesus didn't say, if God were your father, you would love my ideas. He said, if God were your father, you would love me. Jesus is not a higher spiritual consciousness to make you a better person, to improve your path in life. He is the son of God and the only way to the father. You may know a lot about God like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. They were full of knowledge about God, but they were still condemned, unwashed children of the devil. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8, 54. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If it is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he's your God. Yet you have not known him, but I have known him. And if I said I don't know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep your word. Can you imagine today some, a, a, a pastor saying, you're a liar. You say you don't know God, but I do. And if I said I don't know God, I'd be a liar like you. That's what Jesus said. He challenged their, their false idea that they were in God, that they knew God. He challenged them. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Side note, how were the old the people before Jesus saved? By looking forward to Jesus. Jesus said, Abraham, who lived a, a thousand years or more before him, he said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Abraham was saved the same way we are, by faith. We're saved by faith in looking back to the cross. They were saved by faith in looking forward to the advent of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Then they said to him, verse 57, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so he passed by. Why would they pick up stones to kill Jesus? Because by saying, I am, he was claiming to be one with his father, the eternal, self-existent God who revealed himself to the patriarchs as what? I am. Moses said, who shall I say sending me? Who shall I say sending me when I go to my, to my brothers, the Israelites in Egypt? He said, tell them that I am has sent you. Jesus claimed that title. They picked up stones to throw at him. Who do you say that I am, Jesus said. John 5, 18. <clears throat> Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. Jesus claimed God was his father, that he was his son, and that he was equal with God. And they sought to kill him for it. This message that Jesus is the son of God is 
is the, is the plumb line. It's the dividing line that causes people to side with Jesus or to oppose Jesus. As I was out with my daughter uh, the day after Thanksgiving, we wanted to just do some, some witnessing. We were going to go downtown. I said, why don't we just go door to door? We went in our neighborhood, and there was most people were already gone or shopping, so we decided to come to this neighborhood. We ended up going into a lady's house and her husband, and they were very welcoming at first and, and very friendly, and they wanted to show us their house and their kitchen and talk about how great it was that we fixed up the church, you know, their neighbors here. And, and they said, I said, well, what are you, are you guys, what's your religious upbringing? Well, we were raised Catholic, but now we don't go to anything. We don't believe, you know, we just, we just believe that we should love everybody. And I said, oh, okay. And well, as we were about to leave, I just started, I just thought, Lord, I want to use this opportunity. And he gave me just a little window. And I just was, I just started telling her about Jesus. And as I was speaking and as I was getting right to my end point, and believe it or not, it was only going to be three minutes. But at two minutes, as I began to speak about Jesus, the Son of God, I felt this strong hand on my elbow, and it was the little, little old lady. And she's saying, okay, it's time for you to go. And she pushed us literally out of her house, saying, I've got some company coming tomorrow, and we really got to get ready. And as nice as she could, she pushed us, she forced us, out, get out. I don't want to hear about Jesus, the Son of God. This is, there's a dividing line, and it comes to the nature of Jesus Christ, who he is. Listen, as much as Jesus was challenging these Pharisees to say, you don't know God, you don't love the Father, if you loved him and knew him, you'd love me, but instead you want to kill me. As much as Jesus was trying to shake them out of this place of thinking they were, were right with God when they weren't, at the same time, God wants his true children to have assurance. He wants his true children to know that they belong to God, to know that they are God's child and that that relationship is not this shaky foundation that you, you fail one minute and now you're out or you blow it one day and you're out. No, he wants you to know that you're his child and that you can have an assurance that you're in him. <clears throat> but he also doesn't want people who are just Jesus conscious to think they're saved when they're lost. He wants people to know their loss so they can believe and be saved. He doesn't want people sitting in pews week after week believing a lie that they know him when they don't. Listen, if you believe that the Bible is a good moral compass for your life and that going to church makes you a better person, then friend, you're still lost in your sins. And I would be an unloving preacher to leave you there. You must know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God to be saved. You must receive him by faith in your heart and confess him with your mouth. And we can know that we're saved with confidence. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things I've written to you who believe in what? In the name of the Son of God. That you may think, hope, know that you have eternal life. And that you may what? Continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. How do we know that we have eternal life? Because we believe in the name of the Son of God and we continue to hold that profession in our mouth, with our mouth, and in our heart. That's no so confidence. 
That's no so assurance. I know that I'm saved, not by how good I am, not that I, I, I live a good life. I know that I'm saved because of what I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. <clears throat> Praise God. Friend, if that's your, your, your confession, you can know that you're saved. And my, my encouragement is to you is to keep confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. There's a result of that confession. There's a result of believing that in the heart. And that result is joy. That result is life. It's the presence of God and it's joy. That simple confession can drive out discouragement, heaviness, and depression. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> I want to help you see that Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God. Only God can give you this revelation from heaven but he uses hearing the word of God to grant you this gift of faith. So if you're in this house today, you are privileged because you're going to hear a word that can grant you faith. It can give you faith if you don't have it, if you receive it with a humble heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Praise God. I want you to be convinced by the word of God and the spirit of holiness that Jesus Christ is the son of the highest. In Acts chapter 9 verse 1 it says this of Saul of Tarsus that he was he went out and he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and he went to get letters to go to Damascus to grab Christians and to bring, arrest them and to bring them to trial and if possible to kill them. That's what Saul of Tarsus was doing. He was speaking, he was breathing out threats and murders against the church. But after Jesus confronted him, after he saw a light brighter than the sun, which was the son of God, and he heard the voice of God say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. I'm Jesus. And when Saul came to his senses, he was humbled, he was broken, he was blinded, and he went to a house for three days and fasted water and food for three days. And he had a vision of a man named Ananias coming to him and praying for him. And giving him his sight, everything happened according to the vision. Paul was healed of his blindness. He was baptized. He was converted. And he ate some food and he was strengthened. And just a few days later, he was speaking again. He was breathing again. He was preaching. And he wasn't preaching or breathing out murder and threats against the church. Listen to his first sermon, Acts 9.20. It says, immediately he preached the Christ or the anointed one in the synagogues, in the Jewish place of worship, that he is the son of God. This was Paul's, uh, converted from Saul's first message. His first message was he went into the synagogues and he said, this is the Christ. This is the son of God. Praise God. Do you understand the importance of this? Verse 21, then all who heard it were amazed and said, isn't this he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for this purpose that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving 
that this Jesus is the Christ. Proving that he's the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God. Saul went from hating Christians and hating what he thought was a false Messiah to being coming convinced completely in his heart that Jesus was the one the father had spoken about throughout the prophets, throughout the law, throughout the Psalms. Jesus is the son of God, the anointed one. And he proved it. He proved it from the scriptures. Remember the preacher in the video that I saw who couldn't produce one scripture to show that Jesus is the son of God? Was it for lack of evidence or maybe just a bad memory? And I don't judge him too harshly because I know what it's like to be put on the spot and have your mind go blank. But remember Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? I want to look at some different witnesses in the Bible to see what they confessed about Jesus the Son of God. Does the scripture have evidence that Jesus is the Son of God? Number one, <clears throat> angels confessed him. Luke 1, 31 and 32, and behold, you, Mary, will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he and shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called what? The Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Skip down to verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Angels confessed him as the Son of God. Number two, demons proclaimed it. Mark 3.11 and the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him or saw Jesus, fell down before him and cried out saying, you are the son of God. You are the son of God. Demons came out shouting, you're the son of God, the son of the highest. Friends, I've got so many scriptures. I'm not, I've got so many testimonies. I can only share a few. Number three, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament bore witness. Who was that? Who's the greatest prophet in the Old Testament? John the Baptist, John the Baptist, John 1, 32. And John the Baptist bore witness saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him or upon Jesus. Verse 34, and I have seen and testified that this is the son of God. John the Baptist testified, he bore witness that this Jesus is the son of God. Number four, the Gospels declare it. The Gospel of Mark begins with this. Mark 1.1. 1, 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 5. His disciples saw it. John 1.49. Nathanael answered and said to him. This is after Nathanael is told that come and see, come and see the, this one that we think is the Messiah. And when he sees Jesus, Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, or a true Israelite, in whom is new, no guile. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And he said, before I called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel just bursts out with this exclamation. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. John 6, 67. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? 
This is after a huge number of disciples left following Jesus because they didn't understand what he meant when he said, I'm the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Jesus wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was talking about coming to him by faith and believing on him. That's how we eat his flesh and drink his blood. But this huge number of of followers left him and went away. And Jesus said, do you also want to leave me? Go away. But Peter, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, listen, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Praise God. They were convinced. They were, they were in a state of confusion as well. They didn't understand everything Jesus was teaching them. But they said, who are we going to go to, Jesus? You have the words of of eternal life, and we know, and we are convinced that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Number six, Satan challenged it. He challenged that Jesus was the Son of God. Luke 4, 3. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Why would the devil make his primary challenge Jesus being the Son of God? Because that reality is the gate by which either you're saved or you're lost. Do you understand that? Verse 9, then, he brought, then the devil brought Jesus to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, prove it, throw yourself down from here. The devil challenged it. Number seven, God the Father declared it himself. Matthew 17, five. While he or Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Hear him. Praise God. Number eight, Jesus confessed it. Some people say, oh, Jesus never said he was the son of God. Oh, yes, he did. Let's see it right here. John 5, 18. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. John 9, 35 to 38. Jesus had just healed a man who was born blind, and the Pharisees were angry because Jesus did this on the Sabbath day, and it broke their rules. God's rule was not that you can't heal on the Sabbath. God's rule is that you can't work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus finds this man, the blind man, and he says to him when he finds him, do you believe in the Son of God? That's the title of this message. Do you, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Listen. The blind man whose eyes were open had lost track of Jesus. Jesus comes back into his presence and says, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man said, well, who is he? Who is he that I may believe in him? Jesus standing three feet away, right in front of him. Jesus is closer than we think, friends. He's so often closer than we think. We say, who and what and where is he? And he's right in front of us. Listen, Jesus said, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he? It's the guy standing in front of you talking with him that you're looking at. I am the Son of God. It says, then he said, Lord, I believe. 
and he worshipped him. You see, this is the effect of having a, a revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not a boring idea or concept in your gray matter. It's a revelation in your heart, and it causes joy to spring out because when you believe it in your heart, you are saved, and it causes joy and worship to spring forth. And this blind man, when he saw Jesus, the Son of God, stand in front of him, worshipped him. He worshipped him. He worshiped him. Glory to God. He said, I believe. You see, it's not enough to just believe the facts about Jesus Christ. Even the demons believe in one God and they shudder. They tremble. It's believing in the heart. And when you believe in the heart, a revelation takes place. And there's joy and there's worship. Amen. Number nine. His adversaries crucified him for claiming it. Mark 14, 60 says, And the high priest stood up in the midst, this is in Jesus' trial, and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. And the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus, under oath, before the high priest, is asked, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And he says, I am. He uses that, that phrase again. I am. I'm the eternal Son of God. I am. Glory to God. And you know what it says? It says that the high priest tore his clothes and he said, what further need do we have of witnesses? We got him to say the thing that we're going to nail him for. You've heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Why did they condemn Jesus to death? Because he said he was the Christ, the son of the blessed. My friend, this is going to be a, di a dividing line. In the end times, those that will confess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. Not that he's a good teacher and that has good ideas that can help your life and make you a better person. No, he's the Son of God. He's the only way to the Father. That's going to be a, a line in the sand that is going to divide you from family members and friends and from society that says, I don't believe that. Would you leave this alone? Would, can I push you out of my house? Can you stop speaking? Why? Because there's power in the Son of God. There's power in the confession. He's the Son of God. Praise God. And finally, number 10, the hardened soldiers who crucified him, the, the Romans who had crucified so many criminals before, when they saw Jesus and how he died, it says that he said, when he saw Jesus breathe his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. He had one thing wrong in that te testimony. The word was, because Jesus wasn't just past tense, the Son of God. He is the Son of God. He's alive. Praise God. When Philip went to the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, who was reading Isaiah 53 and said, do you understand what you're reading? 
And the man said, how can I accept someone explains it to me? He said, come up into my chariot, explain this to me. And when Philip explained to the Ethiopian that this was speaking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he said, what hinders me from being baptized? I believe, I want to be a follower of this Christ. He said, verse 37, Acts 8, 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You may be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he says, they stopped the chariot, they found a little body of water, and he baptized him right there in Jesus' name. And he came up out of the water, and the Holy Spirit took Philip away. By the Spirit, he just vanished and went to another place to be used by God. And it says that the Ethiopian who just made that confession went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, brings joy. It brings joy and it brings life. John 20, verse 30 and 31 says, And truly, this is the end of the book, the Gospel of John. It says, Truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. Another place says there were so many things Jesus did that all the books in the world couldn't contain him. In other words, he was just doing miracles here and there and everywhere. We didn't have time to write it all down. Verse 31, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Glory to God. Glory to God. Listen, don't ever let this truth, this confession, Jesus is the Son of God, get ho-hum and boring to you. It is your life. It's life in you. It's what saved you, and it's what will continue to bubble up and flow in your life as life. And it will cause you to worship, and it will cause you to go on your way rejoicing because Christ lives in those who confess that he's the Son of God. John 4, 14 through 15 says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, what happens? God comes into him. It says God abides in him. He comes and lives in him. And he in God. And you are placed in God by his Spirit. How? By confessing that Jesus is is the Son of God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. What do you say? Who do you say Jesus Christ is? A good teacher? A good philosopher? A good person to live your life after? Or the Christ, the Son of the living God? Are you convinced? Is there a revelation in your heart? And my friend, bless God if there is. Bless God if there is. And hold fast to that confession. Hold fast to it. Praise God. I want to I just share something that I read that I've, I've seen this before. I want to read this. There are more than 300 specific prophecies concerning Christ, the majority of which Jesus fulfilled while he lived on earth, and some still remain which he will fulfill when he returns. I've got a list of just 18 different things. I'm not going to read them all, but there are 18 different prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. 
and he fulfilled over 300 from Jesus being born into the family and lineage of David to Jesus being born of, of a virgin to Jesus being born in Bethlehem to Jesus being born as the child, the son of God that he would minister in Galilee and Nazareth that he would be announced by a prophet like Elijah that his mission would include the Gentiles as well as the Jews that he would teach through parables that the religious leaders would reject him that he would have a triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey on a donkey he would be smitten and the sheep would be scattered his disciples would be scattered they would cast lots for his garments he would be pierced in his hands and his feet for our transgressions None of his bones would be broken. He would die among criminals. He would make his tomb with the rich and he would rise from the dead. That's just 18. There were over almost 300 that he fulfilled. Listen. The mathematical probability that one person could fulfill all of these prophecies is beyond comprehension. It was reported that the university, MIT, calculated that the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight of the prophecies, the result would be one in 100 trillion. Just eight. I just rattled off 18. And there are almost 300. Every time a new prophecy is fulfilled, the statistics just blow out of the water. Exponentially higher. That the odds of those, then it'd be nine, then it'd be 10, 11. Every time, the, the odds become infinitesimally greater. And the number just mind-blowing. Listen, him just fulfilling eight, just eight, is like taking the state of Texas and covering it with quarters or silver dollars. Think about this. The state of Texas, and you put a silver dollar that just covers the surface of it. And then you keep piling silver dollars until it's a foot deep. And then you keep piling silver dollars until it's two feet deep of, of silver dollars this deep over the entire state of Texas. And you take a blind man and say, find the one silver dollar. And there's one special silver dollar in there. The chances of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies, not 300, eight is the same as a blind man finding one silver dollar out of knee-deep silver dollars in the state of Texas. Listen. <laughs> the chances of one man fulfilling merely 48 prophecies is the same as 10 to the power of 157, which is more than the odds of finding one atom among all the atoms of all the known galaxies of the universe In other words, the fact that Jesus fulfilled almost 300 prophecies is proof beyond mathematical comprehension that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. So I ask you, as Jesus asked the blind man, do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Then if the answer is yes, stand to your feet and join me to declare your confession before God. Praise God.